0: More at 91DonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys.
1: Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So,
2: Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil in horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, ugh, the practical effects. (sighs) <sighs> um, and also the male gaze.
0: My
3: gaze at the males.
2: hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app.
0: More at 91DonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys.
4: Hey, Horror Movie Night. We've got another fantastic fest uh, conversation for you. This time, I'm sitting here with Emily and Justin, who are the people behind Alone With You. Uh, So I watched the movie last night. It is a panic attack of a movie. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, Thank you. And I think what was cool about this movie, and and I'm just making a guess here, but I think I'm correct, that this was definitely a movie that was made during a pandemic. Yes. But you didn't have to lean on the pandemic to explain the situation, but you were able to reveal very familiar situations (laughs) that we've all gone through through two years without it being a COVID movie.
1: I, that was very intentional. I mean, we...
3: Very intentional. When yeah. we
1: were originally coming up with a concept, like, we didn't want to tell the horror story that we were all living at we the We didn't time. want to tell
3: Contagion. We yeah, didn't want to, like, exactly. go into the daily life because, honestly, like, I, I, we didn't want to watch anything. We were watching the news and we were just like, I don't want to talk about COVID anymore. It's just too... Yeah. So we wanted to to go into a story that would, would be evergreen, even after the pandemic, um, hopefully when all of this is behind us. So being um, able thank to you take for saying things,
1: that. Being able to take the themes that I think we all felt at the time, we all, I think we had this collective freak out for a while that we wanted to take all the stresses, the anxieties, all the 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 just kind of mental freak out that we were having at that time. And that's the story we wanted to tell. That's what we thought would be universal through well past the pandemic, but something people were really faced with themselves during that time. And that's the story we really wanted to tell.
4: For sure. But- and and it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong when I say this, but like a movie like Host has an expiration date on it because so much of it is tied to like, hey, this COVID thing's crazy. We're all inside on a Zoom call versus with your movie. It's like you're hitting those beats. There's the FaceTiming. There's the trapped isolated in the apartment. But it could have happened in 1986 or could happen in 2040 and it would still be relatable. It's just pulling from something that we're very all very uh, familiar with. <laughs> which I think is really cool and unique.
3: Thank you so much for saying that. Well, and honestly, um that that is such a huge compliment because we, the hopefully this film the first of a long career hopefully for both <laughs> of us will will have a long shelf life and the you know the core the core fear that i had and and i know a lot a lot of us had thankfully we were living together at the time and got to go insane together but we couldn't see family uh we we couldn't see the people that define us in the relationships in our life and when you, you can't be around those people that are literally the, the emotional structure for, for some people, for, for myself, you start to lose part of yourself. Um, you, you define yourself by your relationship with my, my grandmother, who I see all the time, and, and my mother and my family and my friends. And so when they're not there, you have this odd out-of-body experience of like, is that real? <laughs>
1: And I think it goes beyond <laughs> beyond the pandemic and beyond being locked up. We have all been a part of that relationship that you've given. It feels like you've given a part of yourself. And and mm. when a big relationship has ended or shifted, you have to kind of redefine yourself again. You have to get your footing again. You have to figure out like who am I without this person. And, Mm -hmm. and I feel like those, those to us, those themes, that story was more universal. That was something that we were all really forced to face during the pandemic, but something we, we typically live through day to day all the time is, is trying, trying to really like identify self without the, the identifiers of others, you know,
4: no, for sure. And I want to give a huge compliment to Emily because obviously wrote, directed and and starred in the film, but your character throughout the movie like it's to the benefit of you as an actress where early on you can tell that there's something not right. <laughs> but you keep rooting for her regardless. You you like you know that there's something that's not totally okay in this situation through the flashbacks and through everything else. But you're just like, hopefully I'm wrong. The whole, like the whole movie. I'm like, I like this character so much. I hope Mm -hmm. I'm reading into these flashbacks. And I love that the character pulls that out of you as you want things to be okay.
3: I'm so glad because there's no one else to look at for most yeah. of this film, so it's it's a good thing. Thank you for saying that, and I'm I'm so glad that you empathized with Charlie. Obviously, playing her, writing and directing her, co-writing and co-directing with Justin uh, is amazing. But that it, it's a totally kind of schizophrenic relationship with myself going into playing her because my my goal was. As an actor, I have to side with my character, no matter what happens, no matter who they are, no one plays a villain, you play you play the person and you have to find, I don't think I'm a bad person. I don't, uh, none of us think we're bad people. And so those, those have to be revealed through the audience taking in the story. Um, so I'm so glad you empathized with Charlie because so did I. Yeah, <laughs>
1: But I think even before the performance and before the, like, when we wrote Charlie, she, like, we wrote a character that we have, we we love. She's such a, she's yeah. a part of us. There's, um, we, Charlie was never meant to be like an, a hero or a villain. Charlie is a human being. Like many of us, we are you know, we have deep love and we have deep flaws. And, uh, and that's what those are the characters we're attached to because those, that's what we love watching. We don't, we don't want to see the, the, you know, good versus bad entirely. It's, it's that like middle ground, that gray that I think is so true. And, mm-hmm. and we can all relate a little bit too.
4: For sure. And I, I, there's two things that I'm, I'm thinking of when I was watching this movie and it's not that this movie stylistically feels like anything like this, but you have Barbara Crampton with this fantastic cameo and there's moments of this movie that legitimately remind me of like, moments in Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. So I'm curious how much of like an 80s, I feel like there's like a little bit of an 80s schlock influence that's like mixed into this movie that is way more serious. (laughs)
1: We've
3: described our working relationship pretty perfectly. Um, Justin is an encyclopedia of horror. Horror, horror, horror. I mean, he's got pumpkin head on him, like his tattoos. Yeah. Um, I I come from a a very different, like acting story based. Um, so. That is a huge compliment to this man. Right
1: here. Yeah. I Evil Dead 2 is one of my absolute favorite films. Yeah. And there's, there's
4: there's a scene where Charlie yeah. is on the ground and there's laughing coming from one side yeah. of the room and there's this repeated thing and I'm like this is the Dead by Dawn swallow your soul all of the animals have come to life on the walls moment of Evil Dead 2 and I'm like the biggest smile on my face. I'm like, I Yay, love this. I
1: love, because I, <laughs> we were trying to be so careful so awesome. with, we're always so careful with, I, because I'm such a big fan. You know, I'm yeah. I'm such a big bar fan and I could easily slip into that like homage fest, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but that was, we, we wanted something that echoed, you know, and, and it was almost kind of a little after the fact when we, we wrote this character. Uh, we wrote this, this moment. And then as we were going through it, I was, you know, I was looking at her. And I'm like, I want you to watch this thing. I feel like this is close to this thing, you know. Yeah. And and, and it, we we did play with it a little. It's well, sure.
3: and and it honestly. Thank you for saying that because I think the way that Justin and I balance each other so well is that I can go full art house. I can go very obtuse to my detriment, honestly. And <laughs> and he he is so marketable. Like his his ideas and <laughs> concepts. And I honestly think that the combination of us writing and directing together. Absolutely. It brings depth, it brings character, but we also serve up some real fun. Yeah. Um, there there's some just real crazy moments in this that I would have never come up with on my own. Um and I think I, I think but it's just a testament to like we just really like working together because well, we, we balance each other out.
1: We're such different filmmakers separately that the films we make together we would never have done on our own. Yeah. So yeah. they are they are a, a unique f- Uh, film experience unto itself and it's it's so much fun to 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 kind of balance back and forth because we really do teeter-totter that like she's you know, she's like the the monster is in the id. You know, it's yeah. all self, and I'm like, no, the monster is in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and we find that balance, and it's it's fun for us when we write together. It it really is. It's almost like a, like a visceral experience when we're creating story together. Yeah, we're typically at some point like. On, on the ground, ground like, like, and then he's like this, yeah. and, and <laughs> like, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, write that down.
1: It's a lot of fun, and and we do get to we get to see something entirely different when we work together than than our separate work for yeah. sure.
4: Well, and I think you know you hear the old adage, the film school adage of like a film is written at least three times. It's you know written by the writer, it's written by the director, and then it's written by the editor. Mm-hmm. And this movie, almost more than any other movie I can think of you have so much freedom to rewrite it in the editing because it is essentially a one person show with Mm -hmm. all of these ADR voices. So if you, you could have shot the scene of her just cowering in a corner and been like, I think we can throw a bunch of crazy voices coming (laughs) from all these different areas and you can just do it. You don't have to worry about reshoots. You don't have to worry about like bothering a bunch of people. Like you can just be like, let's just get a friend to record this thing and we'll loop it. And it's like, that is so cool. And it's such a, a, a thing that, when you're put in a situation like shooting a movie during a pandemic, you're kind of forced to come up with cre- creative ways to make things work. And I think that that's what I really enjoyed about this movie. I enjoy it as a movie f- first and foremost. But I also enjoy it as like that person who never started directing movies but went to all the film school, so I like to analyze the filmmaking. And like, yeah. there's so much in this where I'm like, dude, you could show this to a class <clears throat> and have them be <laughs> like... And just have a full discussion of like, how do you think they did this? This is how you do something scrappy on a budget with limitations, like, and make it
1: work. A, a, a big part of that at the beginning was allowing us to have that room, like mm-hmm. uh, alone with you. Does not have a full script. It's we we had this amount of time, so we were like. What are our, what's our main story beats? What's our main moments to hit? Like, where do we need to go? And then we can fill those spaces in as we move forward. And, and it gives us an opportunity to shift if, if the feeling is right, you know, on the day. And, and I think this was, I mean, the, that's not to say this entire movie isn't very intentional. It's everything in there is intended. It has reason there is not a single happy accident in there, but on the day it it always offered us the opportunity to shift if it felt right for the character. And
3: And, well, and to to your point, um, writing a movie three times, we absolutely felt that outline, scriptment, you know, shooting, editing, but I will say this film feels like it was written four times. (laughs) And I will say to your point, through the sound design, our sound designers, the, the only people on set ever were the two of us. Uh, his father would step in as our COVID compliance officer okay. when we had Emma Miles on set. Um, he's a, a medic, so he would come and he would basically make us dinner, make us feel human for like five minutes, and we would keep going. But it was in the post process, really with our sound designer um, and our Foley artist, our wonderful composer Phil Mossman. That we actually got to work with a crew. Um, so, to your point, we had a blast in the ADR. Like, I had a blast in the ADR booth. It was a day that, um, and I'll be honest, I actually had mono at the time I was like recording the ADR for this. Um, I was so tired, Matt. Like, I can't even describe the, just the pure exhaustion, but the unbright, I was just like, I gotta go for it. And um, you're totally right. We, we recorded so much and and editing that audio really wrote the movie for a fourth time yeah Yeah, there
1: there was we worked with our our sound designer sean duffy who's this brilliant brilliant artist on his own and and uh we when we work with other artists within film it's very important for us to like first sit back and see them create their art and then And then we'll tailor, we'll cut to taste and we'll work with that. But we gave Sean, we spoke very broadly about like, here's our character. Here's our story. This is the, the space. This is the, the colors through the story. And, and we wanted to see where he walked with that. And, and he came back with just this beautiful, beautiful, um, kind of picture in, in his sound design. Mm -hmm. And yeah. You know, with, with then it gave us the opportunity to really dig in, to, to tailor, to edit, to really kind of tighten it up. But it was thanks to, th- like, everybody we worked with, Ward Crockett, our editor, Sean, the sound design, and, and Nicole, and mm-hmm. um, Phil Mossman. Like, everybody brought their art first and kind of inspired by the story. And then we worked together in editing these pieces together. And uh, I, I'm just so happy with everybody's amazing contributions to this. Yeah, I
4: mean, it, you can see the group effort uh, and, and you can almost see the camaraderie in, in doing something sm- so small. So you're all kind of in it together. You're all equally invested. Uh, there's a Robert Rodriguez quote I always think of when he was making El Mariachi. And he said, I knew I had access to a guitar case, a school bus and a yeah. turtle. So I was going to put them in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Who had access to the creepiest fucking mannequin I've ever seen in my entire life?
3: <laughs> All the creepy stuff is his. I had a creepiest like a month before the pandemic uh, started. So every creepy thing is his. Now, I will say that apartment was filled with IP. We had okay. to take down Evil Dead posters. I'm a fan. Yeah, in, so. like, I can only <laughs> imagine. Yeah. It. Oh, my gosh. Um, No, but that mannequin, it's a beautiful mannequin. A
1: fun little, I actually got that mannequin at a prop house uh, outside of New York. So it's a fun little snippet is that mannequin can be seen in an episode of Gotham. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I saw that and I'm like, well, that needs to be yeah, in my that house. Man- can,
4: that mannequin should actually get like starring Bill on the, uh, the poster, <laughs> <For> right? <laughs> <For sure. laughs>
3: barker is Barker. Mannequin is mannequin. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> totally. All right. So question from uh, something that I just like to ask people who are filmmakers. Do you remember what was a movie, and it doesn't have to be a horror movie, it, it can be something that feels nothing like alone with you, but hmm. what it was a movie where you, something clicked in your head where you're like, this is what I want to do for the rest
1: of my life? Oh. I know mine.
3: You go for <laughs> yeah, it.
1: Yeah, um, and it's not a horror movie at all. Um, but uh, Before Sunset was, uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, um, it is just this conversation through throughout a day of these two people discovering one another. And it's this wonderful little love story, um, uh, European, uh, setting it's, it's just gorgeous. But that was the first time that I saw a movie and I was like, I understand the pieces there. Yeah. Like I can mm. do that. That doesn't say there's no grand explosion. There's no like crazy thing to wrap my head around that that is a conversation hmm. throughout throughout the film and that was the first time that i i really kind of locked on to something and and felt like that was obtainable like that i could do
4: that mm-hmm. that whole trilogy is fantastic like and that that's really is right?
1: <laughs> link later i mean even starting with with slacker he's unstoppable there's <laughs> he's so like- many But he's so accessible as a filmmaker. He gives stories that when you watch it as a filmmaker, you're like, I feel, I I understand how to do this. Like this feels Mm -hmm. like I can be a part of it. And that was, I think one of the first times um that and every time i watch a trauma movie yeah oh my like, God. Lloyd, uncle Lloydy is the is the <laughs> man i love uh,
4: uh when i do San Diego comic-con every year our booth is next to the trauma booth so i get to spend a week yes. just hanging out with uncle lloyd, it's, uncle lloyd. <laughs> he's he's the best uh how about awesome. you emily is there is there a film or anything even a tv show it doesn't have to be a movie but a moment where you're like i want to act like seeing something
3: Yes. I mean, a- acting and filmmaking are, are a little different. I would say the first time I, I was like, oh, I want to act is when I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. So the Spoleto Festival comes in and I saw a play and I was just like that. I want to do that. I want to travel and I want to do that. But filmmaking, it was when um, I trained as an actor in England um, and uh, I, I, <laughs> I went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Um, it, uh, it sounds very fancy. The experience is not that fancy, honestly. But um, <laughs> I remember being in the library researching uh, a role. I think I had to do a dialect of some kind, like Scottish dialect, which was damn near impossible for me back then. Um, and uh, I remember sitting in the back of the library and, <clears throat> and finding uh, like a DVD, and I was just like, OK. The librarian told me that it had a good Scottish accent, so I put it on, and it was Morvern Caller by Lynne Ramsey.
0: Um,
3: Lynne Ramsey is one of my all-time favorite directors. She did We Need to Talk About Kevin. She
1: was a brilliant filmmaker.
3: Unbelievable. And the film is so pared down and so... Desperately artistic and sad. And it, it it is just so such a haunting film, and it's not it's not a horror movie. It's basically about a woman, <clears throat> a Scottish woman, who comes home at Christmas and finds that her boyfriend has killed himself, but he's written this beautiful book, and she takes the book and repurposes it and basically puts her name on it, takes credit for it, and gets to go on this adventure. It's so dark. It's yeah. so Weird. Um, But it was lit in this sad way by these colorful Christmas lights. And I remember being like, how are Christmas lights so sad? Like, (laughs) how are beautiful multicolored Christmas lights so sad? And I started deconstructing, not the accent, I forgot about that, (laughs) but like the shots. And I was like, oh, there's a camera there. And a woman made this. Ah, And that kind of started my interest. It took me a long time to actually feel like I could direct anything. Um, I'm not from a technical background like Justin, but um, I think that was the movie. Yeah. And I think
4: think that it's very telling that in both of your picks, though, they are films that are simplistic and pulled back and reserved. Thinking of Richard Linklater, I, I think something that I guess only recently dawned on me how insane it is that something like Days and Confused is as popular as yeah. it is. When you look at it against film as a whole, it's like it really has yeah. no p- premise. It has no real yeah. plot. It's just kids hanging out. It you can feel that it's not fully scripted out. Like all things considered, it should just be like a film that art house kids love. But totally. like, link letter has that extra touch to make it mainstream somehow, against all odds. And I see that with with Alone with You. As Alone with You, it's a dream for a filmmaker, art house person, but it's also so accessible and so easy for this to like. I could oh. see this being like a paranormal activity where it's like, look at what these people made for almost nothing in their house, and like From everybody li- loves it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I think a lot of what we talked about at the beginning is we both love a film that's a scavenger hunt, right? Yeah. And
3: yeah.
1: at the core of it, it has to tell you a good story. You have to be entertained. Like we want you to enjoy the ride in the moment. But then we also wanted to give you a film that you could walk away from and start talking to your friend over drinks and disagree about some stuff Mm -hmm. and then try to unwrap that together. And then you go back to watch it again. You notice a couple of other things. I was going to say, I need to
4: revisit this. I know I need to revisit it.
1: (laughs) It was was built very much for that purpose. We want people to be, to be able to put themselves in that film. That's why it's so one of the scariest questions that we avoid is, uh, You know what happened?
3: What happened? Yeah, Yeah. like I
1: please, like that is yours. That is, we don't want to
3: take that away from,
1: and 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 it's not to say that we don't know what happened for us. We wrote with absolute intention. We're this is not some like you know, if you don't get it, you know, like then then you (laughs) don't understand art or something. This is no, (laughs) we wanted to give the scavenger hunt, you know,
4: for sure. And I think that, like, even on first viewing you might not know all of the details, but you know enough. And it feels like to to go into it deeper would be a different movie. You know what I mean? Like that would be kind Mm -hmm. of more... Exploitative or grindhousey or or yeah, but it's not about that. It's not about what happened, it's about the after effects of what happened. Mm. Yes. And so I,
3: well put.
4: Like I yeah. think that that's what makes it so captivating, is it doesn't it doesn't matter what started the storyline, it's where the story inevitably ends. Uh, mm. so I could talk to you too all day about this stuff, but thank mm-hmm. you so much where can people go? Obviously you're, you're doing the film festival circuit right now, but where can people go to see, is there any other screenings on the horizon or is there just a good spot for them to know when it's coming near them or when it'll be readily available for them?
3: Yeah. So, uh, we're, uh, playing all around the world right now. So, uh, the next, uh, screening that we will be at is Salem. Um, so Salem, Massachusetts, uh, that's, uh, October 10th, will be there. Um, we're also playing Grimfest twice in the UK. I wish we could be there. Uh, we're playing Rameskrik in Norway next month. Uh, there's one I was about to say that I can't announce just yet, uh, but then we're actually, our LA premiere will be at Screamfest. Nice. Um, that was just announced. So I think those are all that we can talk yeah. about and at the if, moment. At the moment,
1: but it will be the 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 festival list is is ever growing. And if you, yeah, I mean, I would say the best way is just follow us on our socials, and we're always bothering you with, with <laughs> what we're up to. And then, uh,
3: and then Dark Star uh, picks yep. just picked us up. Um, so they the guys at Dark Star have been incredible uh they have picked us up domestically even before hitting fantastic fest and um yeah we we're we'll looking towards out. a theatrical a limited theatrical lease release um next year so and
4: yeah that's early cool.
1: 2022
3: yeah that's
4: fantastic i can't wait to see more of what comes from this because it really is a, a truly fantastic movie so listeners go Thank and you. check it out find out if it's playing near you if you feel comfortable going go absolutely check this out. Uh, I mean, Dark Star Picks has not let us down before. We had uh, Zach on from Home Wrecker during the last Fantastic Fest. So they've, they've given us nothing but quality content and this is right there with it. Uh, thank you again, Emily and Justin for joining us.
1: Meanwhile in New Jersey.
2: So Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh. And representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil in horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and ugh oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um and also the male gaze?
3: My gaze at the males
2: Hi! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app.
3: Thank you, so Thank much. you so much for having us.
0: 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91DonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys.
1: Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa,
2: what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie... Let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil in horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze?
0: My
3: gaze at the male's?
2: Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.